when I was, uh, I'd been a youth minister maybe two years, and I'd actually, um, I decided that was something I needed to do. I prayed through it, and I felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, you need to learn to play the guitar. And so, uh, so I bought a guitar, and I sat down in my office with that guitar, and I pretty quickly realized that it was not going to be very effective if I only played one chord all the time. And so I learned pretty quickly that there were a number of things about playing the guitar that I needed to learn, and so I signed up for lessons. And so for about, I don't know, a while, I I went on a weekly basis, and I sat down with a guy who knew how to play the guitar, and uh, he began to teach me how to do that. And so I, I began this process of being more than just a guitar owner. I began to learn how to play the guitar. But yet, I also learned that there's more to leading a group in worship with a guitar than just having a guitar and knowing how to play it. And so, the first time that I stood up in front of a bunch of teenagers and tried to lead them in worship, it became obvious to me that I had more processing that I needed to do because I had kids in that youth group who played the guitar and sang much better than I did. So, I had to go through this ongoing process. And so, when we come in here on Sundays and you see this group of people do what they do at such a high level, just understand that they've been through a lifelong process to be able to do what they do. And that's a great place for us to to kind of settle into another one of those truths that we have as it relates to our ongoing spiritual growth and development, and that is that we must go through a process. God processes us to move us from point A to ultimate spiritual maturity. Ultimate spiritual maturity, by the way, won't occur until we find ourselves in heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ in our glorified bodies. But from now until then, we are in process. Some of us are stuck in the process. Some of us are fighting the process. But all of us must be, as Christian people, in process and becoming more like Jesus Christ and becoming the disciples that he calls us to be. Take your Bibles and go with me to Colossians chapter 2. And today we take another step. Now, I'll point you back to our bridge while you're looking for that passage of Scripture. And we have these planks. These are pieces of the bridge that we're in the process of building up here. And today we're going to handle three of them, and we're going to do that in about 20 minutes. So listen quickly today. All of these three we're grouping together today because they all have a common theme, and that is the process of spiritual growth. Just as a reminder, we have our mission as a church. Our mission comes from Jesus Christ. We talked about the Great Commission, but I also point you to our Vision Task Force report. It has objectives for us, and in that, it clarifies for us what our mission is, and that is that we're to build bridges, to connect with people who are lost and broken. And the next part of that is that we are to work to affect or to help them in transformative life through Jesus Christ. Now, that's a big task, 
It's a lifelong task. As a matter of fact, I would say it's a lifelong task for this church, which goes well beyond our lifetimes. That is what we're about. When we say that we're building bridges, connecting people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, our mission says that we will reach them with the love and the life of Jesus Christ, connect with them. We are bridges, and we build bridges into this community and beyond. The question that follows is, okay, but how are we going to do that? And so we have these seven different I'll call them planks for the purpose of our bridge illustration here. But we have these seven different methods. The mission has methods to it. Last week we talked about the first one, which is prayer. Today we cover three more. Almost half of those seven come under this big umbrella as we move forward today. These three planks in our bridge. In Colossians chapter 2, Verses 6 and 7, Paul says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, uh, taught abounding in thanksgiving. As we look at this, let me just get a couple of things out there on the table. The first part of this, that, that, that thing that needs to jump out and grab our attention, is that Paul says, walk. So walk in him. We don't need to make this any harder than it is. It doesn't require a whole lot of explanation. But as Paul's writing into that group of Christians who are at the city of Colossae, he's writing to address some heresy that is bubbling up and some threatened heresy that it seems to be right around the corner. And he writes to help them understand what their responsibility is. He's directing them to healthy Christian living. And in doing so, he exhorts them. This is written as an exhortation. He says, so walk in him. In order for us to get that, by the way, you notice the word therefore at the beginning of this. Paul is very definitively tying what he's saying in these two verses with what he said before. Let me just give you two verses to help us uh, understand what he has said before. Look back to chapter 1, verse 28. In my version here, it's about an inch north, maybe an inch and a half of where we've been. And it says this, 1, 28 says... Him we proclaim, that is Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is emphasizing that everyone, all Christians, are expected to be in process with Jesus Christ towards maturity. So when he says, therefore, in verse 6 of chapter 2, he's pulling back to 128, but he's also pulling back to 2.4, which is just a little bit north of that, and it says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, we're not going to talk about, uh, at least in this message, we're not going to talk about, you know, trying to defend our faith. We're, right now, we're worried about and talking about how do we live our faith. Paul says, so, therefore, based on those things, walk in him. It's a process word. We could easily translate it as, as you walk around living your life, do so in Christ. That sounds fairly simple, 
until you start digging on it. So, second part of this is here's the question for us. All right, Paul, if we're to walk around living our lives in Christ, how do we do that? It's the good pragmatic question. And Paul gives us a clue here. It's really just a couple of verses, and often we just kind of move right past these two verses into some other great material that Paul has here. But let's pause for a minute, because if that's what we're supposed to do, how is it that we're supposed to do it? He answers this question as far as the grammar of this is concerned. He answers it with one word, we're to walk consistently. And that is going to need a little bit of explanation, but it is the bottom line that he says for us, walk, live your life consistently, and that consistently with the truth of Jesus Christ. There are two, two key elements here, and both of them are in verse 6, but one of those two also surfaces in verse 7, and it's going to give us the opportunity to spend some time digging here. So grab a shovel and let's dig, shall we? He says first in verse 6, as you received Christ, and then in verse 7, it's a, it's a mirror. It's actually if you envision a bookshelf, and on that bookshelf you have enough books not to fill the whole shelf. And so you buy these bookends, and you put them there, and it holds that part of your book library together. Paul gives us a grammatical bookend set in this. It starts in verse 6, as you receive Christ. We pick it up in verse 7 towards the end, just as you were taught. It's almost the exact same word, but it is certainly the same intent. Paul is driving us to this to say, as you received Christ. And then later, as you were taught it's process language. He's saying this is where you are. He's talking about where he wants them to be, and he looks backward to what they were taught. It's a great piece of writing if you just want to look at the writing part of this, but there's more to it. So when I first got this, came to this, uh, and as I was digging, matter of fact, if you go look in one of my study Bibles that I have up in my study, uh, I, I, I write in that a lot. I put notes as you know, devotionally, I'm studying through things. And in this one where it says, that first part of verse 6, as you receive Christ, I circled as, and I circled Christ, and I put a line between them, and I said, by grace through faith. Because that's the way you receive Christ, according to what Paul says in other places. You come to trust in Jesus Christ. You come, let me say it a different way, you personalize his love and his life when you place your trust in him. But it's only his grace that does the saving for you. Let me just pause here and give you the opportunity to wear that truth before I move on. If you understand, let me rephrase that, when you understand that you by yourself and on your own are totally incapable of earning favor with God. Let me rephrase that. When you come and recognize that you are totally incapable of earning salvation, let me rephrase that. When you 
personally come where you are very fully aware that without Jesus Christ, you're sunk and there is no forgiveness for you and no chance at life, either quality now or quantity of eternity. When you underscore that in your life, when you recognize and you personalize that truth, you still need him to save you. By grace, we are saved through faith. So let me just finish that, tie that off, and move on. Have you trusted Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for life, for salvation? If not, that's where you are in your process today. And you need to own that. And we invite you to trust Jesus and understand his love and his life and let it connect with you in your daily life. I thought when I first started working through this passage that that's what Paul was talking about, that, that whole salvation thing by grace through faith. And, and so I started digging on it a little bit and realized that that's not really his main point. It's a good point. Matter of fact, it's a foundational point, but that's not his main point in this little passage. Just as you received Christ, he's talking as pointing backwards to what they learned from him. He's highlighting here a body of truth. And so we could go back and we could dig in various places throughout Paul's uh, experiences and the book of Acts, and we could do that and recognize that Paul came to them with this body of truth about who Jesus Christ is. I just spent about three minutes walking through some of what he told them, but there's more than that. And so we come to all of the epistles that Paul wrote where he is laying out for them truth about who Jesus Christ is, truth about how it impacts their lives, and then what they need to do about it. That's that body of teaching, that body of truth that Paul is referring to here, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then the last part of it, just as you were taught, those are the bookends. So part of the life in process as a learner of Jesus Christ, as an apprentice of Jesus Christ, part of that process is that there is this body of truth now, we could get all theological on you. We could use a $16 seminary word. It's doctrine. People hate the word doctrine because too many, well, never mind. Uh, they just hate the word doctrine. But that's what he's talking about. He says, here's, here's how you received. I brought to you this teaching, this truth about who Jesus is. The process that he's pointing to here says you take that and you walk around with it. You live it out in your daily lives. That has incredible implications we'll start uncovering here in just a few minutes. But let's hang on to that part of it. What he's saying is live consistently with that truth. Now, we could stop for a few moments, and I could just throw that in your lap, and I could just stop talking for a few minutes. You don't think I can do that, so maybe we should sometime, but I'm not going to do it today. But if, if I just left it right there and ask you, process through the truth of Jesus that you know, 
and then weigh your life against that. Do you live that truth? Are you living in a way that is consistent with what you know about Jesus Christ? And if not, then you're in process. It's a great process, and we all go through it, or at least we should. So it's a crucial part of the teaching plan that God has for all of his disciples, both those to whom Paul was writing in Colossae and those of us who read it today. Are we walking in a manner that is consistent with what we know? That points me to some of the, the, the posture that our church takes, the, the footprint that we leave. We believe that three out of seven markers, methods, three out of seven planks about how we're going to accomplish the mission have to do with teaching people about how to make progress in the process. And so we do that in a number of different ways. Here in just not long at all, we're going to send you off to Sunday school. Now, today's a little different because we have major things that we're talking about as a church that tie back to the Vision Task Force and the report that they gave and the objectives that are there. And so we're doing town halls for the adults and youth today. Uh, and one group will meet in Price Hall, just down that hallway. Another group will meet in Wolf Conference Center, which is on the second floor. Uh, we've kind of broken it out by Sunday school class. You should know where you're supposed to go. If you don't know where you're supposed to go, go that way, and we'll get you in there, all right? Important stuff for the life of our church. But that stuff that we're going to talk about today has specific input as it relates to how well we're going to help people learn how to be disciples of Jesus Christ at any stage of their process. It's us. It's what we're called to do. That's why one of those three that we look at today, those planks, specifically says this, that we will fulfill our mission by effectively teaching, preaching, and applying the Bible in a post-Christian era. We call that education. And the primary textbook for us in using that, hear me carefully, okay? Hear me very carefully. I'm, I'm not dogging your favorite author or anything like that. But the primary textbook we use in developing disciples is Scripture. It's not what some famous preacher says about Scripture. It's not what some devotional writer says about Scripture. Our text for the process of growing in Jesus Christ is Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 provides a basis for that. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. It's the word maturity. Equipped for every good work. That's the process textbook. Now, that being true, Scripture is the standard we use, but we must be good. No, let me rephrase. What's a good word? We must excel at handling Scripture well. It is not enough, hear me very carefully, especially in the, the uh, environment of our day in churches, especially Baptist churches. It is not enough to stand up and fight to the death about how much you appreciate Scripture. You must handle Scripture well. Much of what Jesus did 
that caused him to be at odds with the religious groups of his day was because he challenged the way they handled what we would call the Old Testament. We have to handle it well. We teach people how to do that. That's a big part of who we are, and we apply it into daily living. When I was in college, I had a professor who uh, made a deep impact on my life, and we were talking at one point in one of our class sessions. Now, this is a long time ago now, over 30 years ago, um, almost 35 years ago, I guess. My math is right. Uh, and I still remember it like it was yesterday because we're sitting around a bunch of young theologian wannabes and a bunch of, you know, church pastor wannabes. And uh, he was talking to us about the education ministry of a church. And he said, so guys, what are you going to teach when you get out into the church? Well, you know the good Sunday school answer, right? We're going to teach the Bible. The Bible. It's not Bible. It's Bible. Now, I'm going to come to what he said, but you know what a Sunday school answer is? It's the obvious thing that comes to mind that has religious connotation attached to it, but it's usually not necessarily what you really believe. The old story, I think I said it here. I'll say it one more. I'll never say it again. But they're in Sunday school class, and the teacher asked the young boy, so what's small and has a bushy tail and eats pecans? And one, nobody would answer. And finally, she called on one little boy, and he said, well, I know that the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. That's a Sunday school answer, okay? So he asked us, when it comes to the education ministry of church, where you're the pastor or you're uh, on staff there, what are you going to teach? And the answer we gave was the Bible. It's a good Sunday school answer. But it wasn't the answer he was looking for. And as if it happened this morning, I remember his response as he came right up to the edge of the desk and he leaned forward and he said, what are you going to teach the Bible? Really, what can you possibly teach the Bible? Don't ever forget that you will be teaching people what the Bible says. You know what? That's a great distinction that should. If you're a Sunday school teacher, make sure you let that settle in. Scripture has a way of, well, let me rephrase that. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking Scripture and working you over with it. Teachers help students internalize. and It transforms our lives. There's an interpretive nuance to this. Most of our translations say this, back to verse 6. Most of our translations read the way the ESV does. That's what I'm preaching out of, and it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. But if you're reading a New International Version today, your translation says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. In your Bible study, don't miss little things like that. Because in this case, there's a great message in the difference. Maybe I should say, what is the difference? You receive Je- as you receive Jesus the Lord or as you receive Jesus as Lord, what is the difference and which one is preferred really? My answer is both. It does make a difference and both are preferred and here's why. As you receive Jesus Christ the Lord or Jesus Christ as Lord speaks to methodology. That's where I started off talking about 
by grace through faith. As speaks to methodology. Another way to say that is how you live affects what you know about Jesus. I'm pausing on purpose because I want that to settle in. How you live affects what you know about Jesus. Remember when I talked about the faith window? Can you trust God to come up with $5 if you need it today? Most of us will go, yeah, I believe God could do that. And then I turned it around and said, well, so what if you need $500,000 today? Can you trust God? Do you have enough trust in God and who he is? Do you know enough about who God is for it to change the way you live every day? The, on the other hand, okay, so as, that's the NIV, the, which is most of the other ones, references that previously received teaching that Paul has talked to them about. Just as you received what I have told you about Jesus, walk in him. In other words, live in consistency with what you were taught. So if as talks about uh, what you, how you live affects what you know, the second part of it here says that what you know has to affect how you live. And they both go hand in hand. It's like breathing in and breathing out. You need both of those to grow through the process as a disciple. Let me just get real, and I'm finished, by the way, as soon as I finish this part. Let me just get really practical now. How you live affects what you know. If Jesus comes through for you and you trust him in something, and then he comes through for you, it, 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 it opens up what you know about him. It grows you in your knowledge. But what you know already has to inform how you live. So let's get really serious about Christians in the age of coronavirus. Really? We're going to go do a run on toilet paper because we got a virus out there? I went to the grocery store Saturday morning, 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock Saturday morning. Two different grocery stores. Now, you just know, I, I was doing regular grocery shopping, okay? I, full aisles with nothing on the shelves. You know why? Because there's a virus. I'm not downplaying the importance of the virus. Please don't misunderstand that. But I am challenging Christian people who live in fear abject fear. I got an email yesterday that blew my mind from a Christian person. How can we be in fear if we know that God is sovereign? And the answer is, well, there's a virus. Be smart. Respect the situation. But you don't have to be in fear of that. Matter of fact, if you are in fear of that, there's just room for you to grow into what you already know about who Jesus is. I'm not trying to be picky or anything like that. I'm just saying this is real-life stuff, everyday stuff. And when the vaccine comes out and coronavirus is a thing of the past, we still will need to trust Jesus Christ in every day of our lives. But we have to teach that. And so we have these three planks. I'll read those. We will fulfill our mission by equipping disciples who engage in discipling others. That's education. Excuse me. That's discipleship. 
We will fulfill our mission by effectively teaching, preaching, and applying the Bible in a post-Christian era. That's education. And then finally, what grows out of this process is evangelism. We will fulfill our mission by confidently sharing Christ at home and abroad. Let me tell you why we throw um, evangelism into that. Because you can't tell somebody about some experience you don't have. You can't take somebody someplace you haven't been or are not going. But when you grow as a disciple and the day-to-day reality of who Jesus is and what he brings to your life, that becomes the message that we share. We need to train people on how to talk to other people about Jesus Christ, but the best witness you have is what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in your life. You want to get the gospel message out into our community this week? Talk into the fear of a virus with the peace that Jesus brings. It's contagious, just like fear is. We teach because it's part of who we are. And it is one of those methods, actually three of those methods, that will help us to fulfill our mission. The question is, where are you in process with Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? Are you growing? Are you putting yourself in position to grow as a follower? Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would take now this message, breathe life into it for us, convict us where necessary, spur us on where necessary, and comfort us as we face a situation that cries out for the people of God to step forward with a message of hope. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.